Hello, this is Jason Hall, the co-founder of Slow Roll and Ride Detroit, embracing the bicycle as a mode of transportation to get around busy cities. And I'm Aniela Kuzan, co-founder and global lead of City Innovations, a team within Ford working with cities to place residents at the center of mobility innovation and design. City Talks is a new series from Ford where we discuss transportation challenges facing cities today and the innovative solutions individuals and cities are coming up with that's changing the way we move. Today we'll be talking to Spin, a dockless scooter company helping to change the way we move. Full disclosure, Spin was bought by Ford a year ago, but we really wanted to share their story of how they got started and what they're doing to address the challenges in the mobility space. We're going to give Kyle from Spin a call to learn about what they're doing differently. Hey guys. Hi, Kyle. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Kyle. Of course. Thanks for having me. So, Kyle, jumping right in, how did Scooter start? I'll try to keep it short. It's uh, quite the history. So, um, Spin has been around for almost exactly three years. Uh, Spin launched its first market actually with bikes um, in Seattle. uh, And the technology was currently, uh, the technology on city streets, including Detroit and many other cities, was the station based environment where Cities worked with nonprofits and got a lot of federal grants to install these systems of stations, and there were pretty clunky, heavy bikes that folks used. Um, Spin was one of the early entrants into the dockless market that introduced a technology that allowed the user to lock the bike wherever they wherever they're ending their trip, providing a lot more convenience and making the cost of the hardware a lot lower. So, Spin and a few others. Um, Lime was one of them. They were actually called Lime Bikes originally. Their, their name wasn't Lime. Uh, and Ofo and a few others from China were kind of starting that industry. Um, the scare from the Chinese uh, kind of side of what we're seeing online with pictures was that these companies were going to come and flood the streets with tons of bikes and no regulation. And Seattle, I was at, working for the city of Seattle, and we happened to be um, shutting down our station-based program, it was called Pronto, uh, very similar to Mogo in Detroit, and we had to put in a warehouse and close up shop because of lack of funding. And so we had a unique opportunity to write a regulation that brought multiple vendors competing in the same city with a dockless environment under control from the regulation with enforcement tactics to basically create a a marketplace for multiple companies, and we ultimately had Spin, Lime, and Ofo in the market. And so that was Spin's first market. Around the beginning of 2018, um, the scooter craze happened, and Spin looked into the technology as an opportunity to diversify its fleet, meet um, additional customers, and grow our market share. And uh, that quickly turned into our primary uh, business because of the opportunity to simply pr- provide a station-based service that had a um, a real big market share, basically the, the opportunity to, to exist as a private company without public funding on the streets, providing this transportation option, which is something that's been really challenging for micromobility um, programs to date. So this was really an evolution from e-bikes. I mean, you guys sort of got on that sort of trend as it was coming, and then the yeah. cost effectiveness is what brought us to spin. Yeah, we actually use mostly just pedal bikes. We we had uh, tested a few e-bike models, but really the the model that you saw in Seattle and in DC and a bunch of other markets when the dockless bike um, boom happened in North America was mostly a pedal bike. And then e-bikes were starting to make their way in, 
But right around the time when companies were really starting to get creative with e-bikes, the scooter form factor kind of entered. And uh, just from early tests, we, we tested it out on a college campus for um, a short period of time that we had already been operating bikes on for a while. And we saw like 8 to 10x the trips per vehicle per day with the scooter versus the pedal bike. And uh, we had heard similar reports of that sort of volume increase from the scooter versus the e-bike. So we really just shifted our gear to focus on what was going to have the most impact in the near term. Why do you think that is? Oh, man, that is that is the million dollar question. Um, <laughs> I think that there. So I have some theories and I've shared these with a lot of people. And I'm always curious what other folks think. But I really genuinely think that the scooter presents a very low barrier of entry. It's very simple to just hop on and press go. Uh, it also is a is a device and a mode that hasn't really been available to city residents or urban urban dwellers to date. While the bike has been and has been a challenging thing for cities to really accelerate their growth of, you've probably had a uh, relative or a colleague say, hey, you should bike to work. It's environmentally uh, good. It's healthy for for your own body. It's just a good thing for you to do. And folks probably gave it a shot and they realized that, man, it's rainy in Seattle. I don't want to ride my bike or our streets aren't very safe for this. And that has been a, you know, a pretty um, significant effort of the transportation industry for the last 10 years, you know, ever since um, the big cities really started to pursue bike networks and have programs to get people on their bike. The scooter is really the same thing. I mean, it really doesn't have much differences in terms of what it offers the customer and how it gets you from A to B, but it's just different enough. And I think enough time has passed where a lot of folks or, or younger people who are also looking for cheaper ways to get around town are willing to just give it a shot. Um, I also think there's a bit of a, um, a social media uh, uh, attractiveness to the device where people like to kind of share their scooter trip or talk about the different um, brands in their city on social media. And that wasn't always a huge part of the bike share community and, and market. Um, obviously, we tried, but it, it certainly has a much bigger um, uh play in the scooter game than it does with the bikes. So with bikes, there are clear regulations. You know, when I ride a bike, I'm supposed to wear a helmet. When I ride my bike, I'm supposed to be in the bike lane. Mm-hmm. How do you, you know, I'm unclear on those regulations when it comes to e-scooters. So mm-hmm. are there regulations and where would I find the information for that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, in most places, the regulations for the e-scooter especially the kick scooter that we're talking about. There's also the like Vespa style scooter, which is closer to the class of like a, a vehicle, like a closer to like a motorcycle in its size. Um, but the kick scooter, which is the service that we operate, uh, that is almost in every case, the regulations are the same as a bike. Um, there are a few states or cities where there are distinguishing factors where like it's an electric device so therefore it's not allowed on certain sidewalks or trails um and i can't think of any cases off the top of my head but there may be some cases where a helmet is required for the scooter and not for the bike because of the electric electric motor but given that the vehicles don't go faster than 15 um that's that's actually a fairly easy speed to get to on a bike um on especially on flat ground so the the regulations around the safety and where you ride 
are, are pretty much the same as a bike in most places. Where you find that to just understand, you know, what you're supposed to do and how to operate the device safely and and legally. Um, certainly, your your local city and and sometimes state uh, will have the ultimate, you know, code language. But often it's easier to understand via companies like Spin that provide that service in your city. So we provide information on best practices for safety, but also rules of the road um, in the app or on our website. When I've ridden a scooter, I've found the environment has really determined how safe I feel. What's your view on infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's your hit nail on the head. And that's been the reason I actually got into transportation um, was because of my uh, desire to build and advocate for and design and plan and just evaluate protected bike lanes and building a network of safe streets for people of, of all um, types and all ages and modes, but ultimately re- recognizing that in a lot of American cities, the pedestrian network could be better, but it's it's fairly well built out. The vehicle network, the transit network could always be better, but it's still fairly built out and you can get most places. But the bike network is just so disjointed. And even the cities that have, you know, uh, more progressive and, and um, uh, a longer history of building bike lanes like Portland or New York City, um, there's still huge gaps in the network. And and so that was, that was my reason for getting into the space. So I actually started off at the city of Seattle um, helping the creation of the bike master plan. So we did a 20-year plan and I did the the GIS, the geospatial analysis for supporting that, and then moved into a role of actually designing bike lanes. So I turned into a, what I call a plan engineer. I was a, had a planning background, but I learned enough engineering to be dangerous and uh, learned how to basically turn a, a street curb to curb and redistribute those lane lines to fit in a protected bike facility and advocate for the creation of that facility via data um, outreach and there's all the, the elements that come with building that, that work and getting it supported and, and built. Uh, that, that was 100% of my passion and still has been. And, and the, what I see as a really interesting, uh, role that the scooters can play is the fact that they are introducing a new rider to the street. Um, they're bringing a lot of folks who weren't showing that there's demand for these protected bike lanes, uh, on the same streets with a, with a totally new device that has the same safety needs. Uh, one point that really supports this is, is the city of Portland when they did their pilot in 2018. So city of Portland has the highest bike mode share of any city. They have 7% of their population reports commuting to work by, by bike. That's, that's almost double the, the next best city. Um, and really bad for the for the nation for, for when you consider into European uh, countries. So so uh, you know on the U.S. scale, it's really good. And in their pilot, forty two percent of the people that responded to the survey about the pilot said that they would never have been in a bike lane if the scooter hadn't been available. So simply like just looking at the best city for biking, we see a almost half of the people that took scooters wouldn't have been in the bike lane. So in terms of grabbing new people and introducing them to a, a mode of transportation that's safer for themselves and for the city and healthier, um, this is, I mean, I mean, it's just an incredible way to get people into it. And I think that's the, 
all the more reason that our industry needs to be continue be uh, creative on the form factor. Different sizes and shapes of vehicles are going to continue to attract new people to take trips, not by the you know single occupancy vehicle. So we keep talking about dockless and talking about how uh, that's sort of the future. And I guarantee you part of the appeal to this is the ability to leave it wherever you want to leave it. Yeah. But we are talking about uh, possibility of docks. I mean, what has Spin doing to address that situation? Yeah, that's actually been a huge goal for us in the, in the past few months. And it's a new, I think I almost call it a new business line of Spins is that we are pursuing and this has been a goal since the day one when I left the city of Seattle to join Spin on this journey. And I was joining a really early phase startup. It was like, it was kind of a crazy period. <laughs> and I was, I was like, all right, let's do this. But guess what, guys? This whole Docus environment thing, it's great, but it's not going to last. I can promise you that. Like, from knowing how city DOTs manage their streets, there is the, the if you were to map a city of where there is managed parking, whether that be time limited, paid, load zone and simply map where they have resources to manage and enforce different parking policies, we can almost take that same map and expect that we're going to have to manage our sidewalks, the other side of the curb, the, the furniture zone or the utility zone where scooters are parked and and have similar regulations to ensure that the pedestrian, the ADA user especially, has that guaranteed um, clear pathway. So um, one way that was introduced by some cities, we did it in Seattle a little bit, was by taking what is like a typically just a bike rack and expanding that to be more of a corral, having some space for personal bike owners to lock up their bike and some space for the free-floating dockless environment, and hopefully people will park their, their bike there. But that's always, not always easy to find if you're maybe you know 20 feet away trying to get to this coffee shop. You don't see that there's a painted corral down the block. Um, so, uh, one element that spin has been pursuing that has the benefit of that orderly sidewalk design and, um, reducing the clutter, if you will. Um, but also has the benefit of reducing our operational VMT. So, um, vehicle miles traveled is a metric that we often use for measuring how much, uh, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a unit of measuring congestion basically. And so if our scooters are getting used so much that they have to be recharged every night, which is the case in most of our healthy markets, um, we have to send vans out or trucks right, to go pick right. them up. And if we can have them naturally rebalance, if every scooter kind of visits the station a couple times throughout the day, we can almost introduce an environment where we have to pick up very few scooters. Right. We are actually going even beyond that, and we're having incentives built into the app where we encourage you to end your trip at the station. We give you credit towards your next trip with Spin that basically in, uh, has the fleet kind of naturally rebalancing itself to those stations. Then there is, so there's, there's, there's two main benefits that I see as a city you know, planner, which is the cleanliness and orderliness of the sidewalk and the reduction of greenhouse gases from operations. The other benefits is the placemaking opportunities we have, the, the oper opportunity to partner with businesses on citing these, these things, advertising information, wayfinding on, on the um, station itself. There's a lot of other benefits that come with the, the station installation and make it a, a, you know, have a good return ROI. Um, but really for how we think about cities and their, their, um, 
improvement to the transportation network. I think the the orderly sidewalks and the operational VMT reduction is really the the main reason why we should go after these these um, stations. That makes a lot of sense, and mm-hmm. it seems like in order to really execute on that vision, you would have to partner with the city and with local government to yeah. understand those regulations and policies and where to place those hubs and even partner on the implementation. Is that part of your strategy? 100%. That's actually the foundation. I mean, to be honest, that that's before the strategy. That's the foundation where we're, we're building off of to even do this at all. So the reason I say that is um, the history of dockless in the U.S. has been a bit of a roller coaster. Um, dockless bikes came, and the American companies were really trying to distinguish themselves from the Chinese companies that, you know, had a a billion dollar round with ten, with uh with SoftBank. You know, one of them like they were coming in as like the clear dominant in market with the amount of capital they had. Um, that business model did not pan out the the volume and, and lack of unit economics um and at the same time the u.s companies kind of switched to the scooter model and were growing and still have been growing and throughout that growth some companies kind of chose to um give up their willingness to work with cities and their commitment to not launch without permission one of our competitors actually had the same, had the same day. It was always this kind of like dueling, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, like arguments or trying to get ahead of each other in the market. And there was uh, one week where both Spin, one of its main competitors, put out a blog saying that we will always launch with permission from our cities. Um, and one of our competitors that did this at the same time of us actually took that blog post down in like spring of 2018 because uh, many of our competitors took the, the path of launch everywhere and then ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Spin maintained, and this is, I mean, I've been, my title has been the same since day one at Spin. This has been under um, the direction that I've given my team as well as all the way up to our our um, CEO and, and the founders. We will launch only once we have explicit permission from the city. Uh, it's just a core value of, of, our, of our company. And it's, it, what, what really, it, makes me proud of spin is not only that my company or my team in the company does that that's really easy because my team mostly comes from working in government and they understand the value but that is actually extended into how other departments in the company operate so we have reports coming out of tampa um just last week where you know they are looking into the uh, number of violations into the geofencing requirements and you know while our competitors have like thousands of, of violations our local team had built their geofences and done the rebalancing and operations correctly where we have, you know, maybe like half a dozen of times where our scooter was used incorrectly. And it likely it was because of the inaccuracy in GPS data more than anything, because we simply just always follow the rules. Um, the reason I bring this up as such an important foundation is that when we come to our cities and say, hey, we've been operating in your city for a while, like Detroit and or D.C. or Tampa or Phoenix and we share that, you know, we want to add this additional service to the ground. It looks a lot like the station-based bike share system you have. We want to introduce an environment that's a mix of station-based and dockless and has these benefits that they trust that we're coming at them in, with a, um, a product and, a, and a, uh, a vision that we think has shared goals with the city government. And they trust us in how we're going to go down this path versus 
being afraid that we may just deploy these things one day and then ask for forgiveness later. And it's been really key in our conversations with cities is that they first start from the foundation of trust and then we actually talk about the mechanics to get it done. What permit do we need? What engineering drawings do we need to produce? I often hear the question of sustainability. People say, how is this a sustainable business? Um, a friend of mine was a person who did collect uh, the scooters. And one night he went to collect them and he had 10 of them that were all in one place. And when he found them, they were all in a housing project and kids had just taken them and just commandeered mm. them. So yeah. realistically, that's 10 scooters pretty much off your books, you mm. know? So that's the question people keep asking is how is this a sustainable business model when they're potentially losing nationwide hundreds of these a day? And is that the yeah. case? Yeah, that was, I mean, it was a very um, important topic. Uh, it's, it has been ever since, but really in the early phase of the scooter um, growth, it was a huge topic for all the companies and the, it has reduced significantly because we've all moved away from these kind of like off the shelf products that we then modify to work on our, our platform. So uh, when that was the, the best available option, um, that provided a lot of opportunity for people to be able to kind of hack the vehicle and turn it into a personal vehicle or simply just take parts from it and uh, turn them into a, a separate scooter. Now it's, it's much, much harder to do that and um, we see loss rates um, have been decreasing a ton as we've, as we've moved to more proprietary designs. And, you know, we work with our partners that on the manufacturing side to design for, for vandalism and theft. Um, so that's an area of improvement that will continue to improve. And I, I kind of forecast this is going to be the case from early on is that the growth of the demand for the scooters was a lot faster than the, than the manufacturing of new devices that were separate from the shared network versus the consumer network. And now we're seeing those really diverge to a point where the shared network models have those protections built in and the loss rates have been decreasing a lot. When you said sustainability, I thought you were going to go in another direction, uh, more on environmental sustainability, which is one of my personal passions, how do you approach the environmental sustainability aspect of the service? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's certainly a key, I mean, it's a reason that a lot of us got into transportation. So it's always top of mind. Um, for me, the primary goal and benefit I see of providing this service to people is the opportunity to get them out of a single occupancy vehicle, or the opportunity to reduce the chance that they order a Lyft or an Uber into a downtown environment at peak hour and all the problems that come with that, both environmental um, and just, you know, impacts of the community. Uh, we, while trying to achieve that, we cannot forget about the fact that, yes, if a battery is disposed of improperly, that's really, uh, you know, uh, that's not good for the environment at all. Um, the loss rate of the of the devices, if we have to replace the whole fleet within you know a short timeline, then what was the actual gain there if, if all those materials um, really didn't have much use? So, so we have uh, environmental um, based like factors to and goals of our company that that make sure that we are operating a service that not only is providing the transportation 
environmental benefit, but is at the same time having as minimal impact on the resources, the supply chain, um, especially battery disposal, to uh, reduce our environmental impact while providing that environmental benefit. That's great to hear. Maybe that will be the the incentive to ride my spin scooter on Cass Avenue uh, in yeah. Detroit, where there is a protected bike lane next time I go downtown. Um, yeah. Switching gears a little bit, uh, I know a hot topic in transportation today is data and how we think about data, how we share data, how we use data. Can you talk a little bit about the data that's collected uh, through the yeah. scooter service, how you share it with cities and what you've learned throughout the experience? Yeah, for sure. That I mean, it's... it's uh... It's uh, almost one of the reasons this whole multi-vendor dockless environment came to cities. When I was at the city of Seattle and, you know, we had to close up our station-based bike share system and we had this opportunity to do this thing, a lot of the folks in my leadership at SDOT were saying, hey, let's, let's build the data sharing environment that we want Uber and Lyft to be abiding by in our ideal, ideal you know, regulatory framework. Let's basically show how the industry can provide data in a safe way, um, in a way that protects individuals' privacy, and counter a lot of the um, arguments we've been hearing for a long time from from Uber and Lyft, and um, and build out that ideal environment. And that's it's that concept and and, and reason behind the um, data sharing environments. I think carries through to a lot of the DOTs that we're working with today. I mean, if you look at what's happening in LA, I think that, you know, it's very much a conversation between LA DOT and, and Uber about the data around their bikes and their scooters. But the argument doesn't very, doesn't last very long for a company like that to continue to say, yeah, we'll provide it for our bikes and our scooters, but we're not going to provide it for our, our other products. Um, so how it works today. So we, you, you take a spin scooter, um, there's GPS that is, um, uh, doing you know, providing a ping to our network every, um, uh, few seconds and allows us to understand where the scooter is and then where it's going to be available for the next rider. Um, the cities that we work in, almost every city mandates that we share data through a, um, protocol called mobility data specification or MDS. And that MDS, um, data spec, it's basically a language that we, format our data into, and then we provide a endpoint, which is like a, a point of entry um, for cities to view it and analyze it. And uh, we often then ask, well, we always ask of the city, okay, we're happy to provide the data. Tell us how you're going to safeguard against any sort of data breach potential if you're going to be storing data. So we often will then ask the city to provide us their data um, uh, sharing standards, data data storage um, practices to ensure that we're not putting our customers at any additional risk by having our data on a city server. Um, additionally, there's the question of FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, and how this data is treated um, in, in, in the event that someone wants to uh, request that data because of uh, the FOIA laws. So. That's a case-by-case case case basis based on which state you're in. All right. Sounds good, Kyle. Uh, man, I, I can't wait to actually – last night I was going to go get on a spin, 
but everybody yelled at me because it was late and it was cold and they thought it was a bad <laughs> idea. Uh, so today I am definitely going out and grabbing myself a spin to experience uh, everything you're talking about. Uh, what's next for spin, Kyle? Well, what's hopefully coming soon in Detroit is some stations. Um, we've been talking to multiple stakeholders uh, about some interesting partnerships to try out the stations in Detroit. So I hope to to bring those to your city soon, and and I'll have to come up uh, for the Rigman Canyon so that we can um, go see a Red Wings game or something. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, this has been a great discussion. I know I've learned a lot, uh, and I'm quite excited to – see all of these plans come to be in Detroit. Hopefully uh, we will not only go see a Red Wings game, but a Tigers game (laughs) so that our scooter rides are a little warmer. Um, And I just want to say thank you again for your time and excited to see what's next. Thanks a bunch. Thanks, Al. See ya. For me personally, what I took away from Spain was how – progressive they're being about addressing city issues. You know, when we talked about dockless, they had an answer for that. You know, when I talk to people about scooters, really a lot of the stuff that they have issues with, he really talked about before I even brought it up. So I was really impressed about that. I haven't heard that same thing coming from uh, all the other companies, but I was really impressed with how Spin is really sort of proactively working with communities and businesses to uh, make this the best situation for everybody. And I think it was really interesting to hear Kyle talk about how infrastructure is a part of that conversation and how they're being really proactive about thinking what needs to be in place in order for these rides to be safe. Right, right. That's it for this episode, and thanks for joining us. Don't forget to comment, subscribe, and rate us. Next episode, we'll be talking to the city of Ann Arbor to learn more about how they're experimenting with data to improve transportation in their city.